Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. So I followed the ghost of a king with every step Hold on a minute before I let you get to this wonderful episode of Stories Are Soul Food. I have to tell you something. Some of you all who have been asking for video, well, your desires have been answered because this episode is now streaming on Canon Plus in video. So if you, for some reason, have wanted to see my face or Nate's face, you now can do that. Or if you've wanted to see how Nate wears his headphones, or I don't know what clothes he uh, records stores or soul food in, uh, you can now do that. MyCanonPlus.com. And of course, use code SASF99 after you create your free account. Enter that for a month of Stories or Soul Food and 99 cents. And of course, all the other things on Canon Plus. All right, I'll get out of your way and let you listen to the episode, because it's a doozy, as they say. Welcome to SASP. We're all done. We're starting. We don't wait for the we don't wait for the tech. <laughs> we we just begin. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, Nate, we're reaching many new folks with our Are faces. We? Well, because, yeah, they've never seen our faces before. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. But I actually was just wondering if you'd watched Buzz Lightyear. Oh, gracious sakes, no. Yeah. Should, I, should we welcome the people first? Oh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to welcome the... To Sa- I'm a, we should ignore the cameras completely. Yeah, let's do it. I was planning already. Sass. <laughs> welcome to Sass number 70-something. Stories are soul food, cranking towards 80. Cranking to 80. We shouldn't be at 80 yet. Uh, forgot that we we're going to be filming today. Otherwise, I would be wearing sweatpants. Yeah. And the sweatshirt. Instead, I'm kind of doing a raggedy, I was up till 3 a.m. look, which is also authentic. <laughs> authenticity. I We are all about authenticity and not caring. So You'll note that uh, Nate's got the ear thing up on his head. All the things that you may have heard. This is because I'm a professional. This is how I wear these. It's also because I can't have a headphone over my ear for any length of time without excruciating pain. <laughs> so so <laughs> basically I'm weak and the ear doesn't work anyway. So why would I go through the pain for literally no benefit other than the Yeah, ear? just for the camera. I will the only reason why this doesn't help is when I'm on airplanes I do this. And so I have my my Bose headphones exactly like this. And people think it's so that I can talk to them. And they think, oh, that's sweet. You know, he's he's available. Oh, so your, your seatmate is like, Yeah, oh. so he's watching something or listening to music and sleeping, but he's got one thing up so that he can converse. And that is not why I have one thing up. And not only that, they can try as hard as they want. So and they try to whisper sweet nothings in yeah, your ear. Yeah, and I will not recognize. And eventually, if they're on my left side, they end up like, fully making physical contact they'll touch me to get my attention (laughs) and then i'll turn and then i'll take this side off to hear them and they're very confused it's like as if as if the giant scar around my ear was not enough to maybe signal you know i i have been advised to get a little out of order tattoo on that side (laughs) i saw i just saw speaking of airplanes this might save you they're looking at those double decker ones now where they have a seat above and a seat your legs would be underneath yeah like curving underneath it's the only way to fly (laughs) (laughs) 
like the double darker strollers. So but what what are we actually talking about, today, I, Brian? Other I, than the bad lighting, um, I don't like it. We usually we're usually more in the dark, so I'm not I'm not enjoying the lighting choice uh, production team. <laughs> this should be more golden, more soothing. Don't you think, Alec? Yeah, maybe more soothing. I think I feel like the quality of this podcast is going to go down, even though it's on video. Especially that's because it's on video. The lighting is completely different. So for you audio listeners only, the reason why we're not talking as well is because the lighting's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think the quality is going to go up. <laughs> so we okay. Let's go. Let's now. Let's jump into it. <laughs> the question I had is about what happens when an editor tells you to put something in your book that you don't want, and that mm. was kind of inspired by Lightyear. Like because it, I mean, and obviously. Right. Just what happens when someone puts something in a movie that is, is for example, like with Lightyear, uh, that's not fitting or put in for other reasons or, and, and I wondered if you had examples of that. Are you from, talking about the smooch? Yeah. The, the, the lesbian smooch. The smooch. Yeah. It, you know, what's really funny about that is I know the conversation. I know the conversation that happened and I had to push through it at many different levels. And then there's a conversation that had to happen where, well, it, it, I wonder if anybody said, hey, by the way, this is going to cost us $200 million. Because it's getting panned in the box or, office, Or right? $300 million. How many hundreds of millions is the virtue worth? And I know the people who pushed it feel like infinite millions. Okay, that, so they that's don't That's how care. much it's worth. They're immune but to the there loss are, of millions? The the creatives who pushed it are, yeah. No, they they feel like this is the holy crusade that they're on, and they don't mind hitting the, you know, the button on the vest, and, and making it go boom. Um, what kind? But, of, so that conversation is saying, hey, our listeners will not like this, and will say, don't go watch this movie. Right, but and, then, but then I know there's also executives who are. Uh, they're they're in a very different place, executives and who are not near the creative, uh, who are fighting for money, and they have virtue lovers too. They're willing to lose a big chunk, but they would have run the math and thought it was an acceptable loss, and it's I think probably an unacceptable loss. They thought the the fourteen Muslim countries that were that were, hey, we got some scratch. Are you picking up that? Is that just me? Oh, and my it must be. That's probably. A phone call trying to come in. This is the kind of thing that happens during the podcast. That no one authentic. <laughs> no one has to know about, but now they do. <laughs> yeah, now now there are phone calls that come in. We picked up that cellular disturbance a little bit. That's just um, normally just goes straight through our bodies without a sound. <laughs> so somebody did the math and said this is worth it to lose those fourteen Muslim countries is kind of whatever. Um, and we're just proving how virtuous we are, but they were not expecting to lose as much as they lost everywhere else. Okay. And I think they already had a bad momentum by dropping Tim Allen. They already had kind of oh right. created a, a momentum of don't trust these guys. Because um, it's not the original buzz. It's, it's not buzz. It's not buzz. And they're they're doing this uh they're doing this stupidly. And in doing this stupidly they lost all trust. Not that they would have had much. Um, I'm moving my phone, so it will stop. Are you scratching, hearing that? Are you yeah, hearing I'm that crackle? Scratching okay. in the ear. Yeah. So I apologize, everyone. 
and we'll see if this fixes we're gonna it. pretend we're just gonna be normal um we yeah no the, this you're getting the real deal we have the corpse light um, on us yeah <laughs> thanks alec um basically that conversation happened and they decided the, the math was fine for the virtue and then now i think they're looking at the numbers and they think nope this should have been a billion dollar movie yeah um Ooh, billion yeah okay i mean uh they should in the end have brought in like a full billion and they should have been half a billion in the in the box so and now they're losing to jurassic world or whatever yep and then they have the press of that and that the momentum of that the kiss of death that comes from that is is pretty terrible mm. so we'll see we'll see how they go see how they see how it, you know how it works i just watched a i was just able to watch a screening of a film that was a gnarly movie um, and it was the first studio screening that producers are um, were showing at studios. And so I was in a screening room in a studio uh, watching them take it out to executives for the first time. Uh, and it's a it's a film like traffic. Um, you know, like like an inside the drug trade narco okay. narcos. OK, that that kind of a film. Um but it was focusing on the child sex trade. Oh boy. Yeah. And uh, kind of, I mean, just brilliantly executed in many ways, beautifully, beautifully shot. Like directing was incredible. Um, actor performances were pretty unreal. And the backstory of the film, uh, just to put this out there right now, uh, included, yeah, see, see how on video you can see how Brian tries to turn to swallow, but we all still hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, backstory of the film, they they were at a, at a major studio and um, because they'd, they'd been there and the studio was purchased by Disney and then um, they knew because of the researchers and the, the character they were basing this film on uh, who's a real character that a number of Disney execs who are in powerful places are in fact, incredibly guilty of, of this exact thing, very Epstein's Island kind of stuff. And they did not want to be there because okay. like they were, they were now in the house of mouse where this is actually a, a significant problem. And so, yeah, sexual abuse. Yeah. And so it's now migrated Elsewhere, they're taking the film elsewhere, uh, in part because of the complicity in the Epstein's Island type stuff that has happened in the Disney infrastructure. So, and we're not talking about small Me Too stuff, or or even big Me Too stuff. We're talking about full on child trafficking, like the as bad as it gets. And this is the studio that's gonna like get up and be righteous and try to spoon feed the world a, a lesbian kiss. So, yeah, in in light year. Yeah, so I'm within within one week. I'm hearing producers talk about how they need to ex exit the studio because of how many uh, names they know who uh, are involved in the in the international child sex trade. And, and at the, same, and the time, same time, that studio is the studio trying to force this virtue and get all the virtue bon bonus points. Um, and I was like, you know, this is kind of an interesting correlation. Like this is. Uh, yeah. Not surprising. Um, so how do you think a parent handling, you know, the, the approaching the Lightyear movie, how do you think about that? 
Like take, do you say, Hey, because this is in there, we don't go watch it. I think because it is a, uh, colony of maggots and flies, you don't go watch it. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you'd go watch it. Like, I got I just don't know. I mean, I look at it and I think without that, I didn't, I didn't know that was in there when I decided not to watch it. Right. You watch yeah. the, pre that's what I was saying is I watched the preview and the plot device of him rip van winkling into, you know, yeah. he's, and all of a sudden he's now having to do missions with the children of his friends. Yeah. That, that was a weird thing. And I thought, Oh, well that's not a Buzz Lightyear movie that I want to yeah, see. No, it was so uninteresting and it just nothing about it. I love Buzz and nothing about it was intriguing or interesting. Yeah, and so, so it already lost us. Yeah, I, w I was just not in. And then I was like, oh, wow. After Afterward, I heard the buzz about, the, no pun intended, about uh, the virtue the virtue signaling and everything else that was the going on. The chef's kiss. Yeah, and the, uh, <laughs> as it were. Uh, and the Muslim countries dropping it and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's funny. It doesn't surprise me. Um, but it also, that is kind of an old Disney strategy of creating conflict around social issues and having everybody have to have an opinion. So everybody has to form an opinion of whether did they go too far? Did they not go too far? And what that does is it forces people to watch it and have, it, have a, is that on purpose? Is that part of the, that's a way of salvaging the move, how to move the needle. And okay. you know, they can, they can talk about it. They score a bunch of points with the left, a bunch of people on the right were like, I didn't think it was that bad, you know, and they all fight to get everybody to have an opinion and fight about it. And, in order to be in the fight, you kind of have to be talking about the about the film, which helps. Right. So, okay. you know, they frequently would, you know, is Olaf gay? You know, like those kinds of things. Right. The, the weird inappropriate stuff that happens in little background things that people With catch and, yeah. and fight about. Those those only benefit the film. Um, okay, you think it's counterproductive almost to make the film about that rather than just well, I mean, those benefit the film I see. in terms of marketing. I mean, like they get everybody to talk about it, fight about it. It makes it au courant, you know. For <laughs> for that's French from the stories or soul food. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. It means the soup of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that you cre you create that situation and it's just it's just great marketing it, it puts legs on it and everybody has to have thoughts so okay have you ever had anybody try to do that to your books that you can talk about fight about issues in there yeah like either you have to put something in there or you have to take it out oh there's been plenty of things like that and you uh, you started this with a question about uh, when people want me to put stuff in i would say that um you know i try to when, when people want me to put stuff in or take stuff out, I try to be as neutral as I possibly can around those things that don't really matter. And okay. It's, it's super easy. I'm really easy for novelists to just be divas. Okay. I won't change anything. You know, I meant this exactly the way it was. I can't possibly add a character. I can't possibly delete a character. I can't possibly make that character more interesting. This character is perfectly interesting in every way. Oh, I couldn't, couldn't be more interesting. Um, and so I don't need to add this. I don't need to make him less creepy. I don't need to make him more creepy. I don't need to do anything. Um, it's very easy for, for artists to be that way. Um, I see it in graphic designers. I mean, you see it, anybody it's, it's funny how little success you need in life to be on a high horse <laughs> about notes from somebody else receiving notes. 
So whether you're selling millions of copies or whether you're just working for a client trying to make a logo, it can be really, really easy to get on your high horse uh, and not take a note. Um, I work really hard to take as many notes as possible. I'm all, I come to every note thinking, can I take this? Like, is it possible for me to take this? And if I can, I do. So burden of proof for an editorial notes usually on the don't do it. Yeah, I have to, I have to have a reason not to, I can't just say tie goes to prefer not to. Yeah. Tie goes to me. I have to have an actual strong reason not to. And the reason why is because I want to save my gunpowder for those fights that will inevitably come where I'm going to have to fight to the death. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to do that in hello ninja as a show. And, you know, there was okay. just, there's just things that I'm going to fight about. And there's, they, and I had executives who were very surprised about where I would fight. Like, why are you fighting about this? Because I didn't fight about hardly anything, you know, and it's. And they made the mistake of thinking. Now I say, now I could say that I didn't fight about hardly anything. That might not be how they remember it. <laughs> 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 this, this is me not fighting yeah this is this is me this not is, fighting. this is me and my pax romana <laughs> <laughs> this is me um, not having too strong an opinion <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i was really determined to try to have it be fantastical and wonderful and really fun for kids and so i did i i can think back and i can think to like three places where i was like i am throwing down i mean i am fully throwing down one was around the rules of story in general and the nature of fantasy oh uh, like what do you mean or can you not no i i can, I can talk a little okay. bit about this it's sort of the it's it's the it's the thing where you have you you basically have a, a writer who waves their hand and says it's magic oh you know like no magic has rules too like you just can't solve a, a problem with just it's a, just a magic it's just gaps. magic you have to yeah, yeah you have to have set it up there has to have been some kind of rule it can't just be the power of imagination um mm -hmm. and so we had there's one episode where a writer was trying to solve a problem by saying well this whole thing's an imagined world like they just they're in an imagined mm -hmm. conflict right so they bowed to the mirror and they went off to this ninja adventure where they have imagined uh, this giant conflict, why don't they just imagine it away? And oh, okay, and imagine like, that I say the conflict. Yeah, you know. So yeah, right at that moment of destruction, just realize we're only playing a game. Like we can just imagine this away, and it's like, mm, no, <laughs> that's just, oh, oh, that's cheating. The but yeah, and it's like no, it's about the power of imagination. I was like, no, <laughs> like I am. Th I'm throwing down. Um, that's, yeah, that's also tough because you don't ever meet challenges in real life that you can imagine away. Right. And I, yes, I know this is an imaginary game and this is inside the fantasy, but we're going to abide by the rules of the fantasy. They have to solve this problem within the coherent framework of this fantastical world. And yeah, they imagined it and now they're going to solve the problems within the coherent framework of this imagined world. And that was just like, Everyone. could not be comprehended by a room full of very postmodern writers i mean they so, thought you were you were being i thought i was nuts okay and so i just like it didn't make any sense to anybody why i was throwing down over but the but but the power of imagination like no <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and so that one was just, I just had to spend capital on that one. It was like, I convinced no one. It was just a, it was just a brute force. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this, this is the way it's going. Um, and I really got along with those writers and they were very talented, but that was, there were a lot of very talented writers in the room, none of whom I think understood at all what I was bothered by because there was just no shared apparatus right there. That, and that was like the one like narratival, like big narratival fight. And otherwise I just saved it. And then the other big fight was over how wussy, uh, how wussy uh, the father figure would be. Ah, you know, that was, that was, that one probably made more sense. They were like, well, I guess maybe not because it is kind of the trope. It, it, yeah. We've talked about it before, how a strong father figure uh, eliminates a bunch of stories. <laughs> like mm -hmm. when you make him strong, a number of challenges that you're used to allowing yeah. a story to start with don't yeah. even get off the ground. Cause the dad would yep. say, mm, let's do this. So the question was in this case, how strong is mom? Um, and you know, again, I mean, I was operating in a different world. So I'm operating in a world where, you know, I was, I was talking to a bunch of very intelligent, very talented, um, female executives you know I'm, I'm sitting there talking to them and they're sharp they're highly successful you know they've they've really they've gotten where they've gotten because they're good at their jobs mm. they're efficient they're moms uh they're mothers they're they're power moms these are these are the executive moms and i'm saying no this is not a stay-at-home dad and this is not a power mom. They loved the show and they wanted mom to be the breadwinner and dad to be the stay at home dad. And I was saying, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I was saying that to people for whom that was their reality huh. or at least much closer to their reality than it was to mine. And so that, that was a very delicate and interesting conversation. Yeah. And then there was a bunch of racial representation fights um, and those I mostly, um, I, I kept basically an attitude of non-intervention. Um, right. That makes sense. And, and just kind of watched people devour themselves with complexity. And in that specific situation, the only thing I cared about was budget and timelines. It was like, you know, I really could not care less, um, I mean, this, it just didn't matter to me. Right. Um, so how many, how many kids in an episode were of different races was a non-factor, but at what time, at what time in the process of production, you make a decision to go back into rebuilding characters. Now that matters. That matters because that starts to cost many millions of dollars mm -hmm. and uh, if you want, if you want to swipe your credit card and run the meter on on going over budget for that, it's fine with me, because um, that's not a that's not a fight. So I got to be a front seat spectator on some really interesting conversations there, as as people kind of tied themselves in knots. Um, and there's a lot of we really weird downstream hor horrible, like just horrible uh, consequences to some of the diversity issues that they're putting in place that they don't see yet.
mm. you know, that they're, they're only just starting to experience. And, you know, they didn't, and I told, I remember very strongly telling a Netflix executive that they were creating accidentally, they were creating whites only jobs. Like you realize that's what you're doing. And you don't you don't know that's what you're doing. You don't think that's what you're doing, but that's what you're doing. Um, because they're setting up a world where you have to think about the color of the skin of the person in a job. Yep. Right? And so, especially in animation, uh, the time in the timeline of production when you audition voice talent. So when you actually audition voice talent for a character, uh, is downstream. It's downstream from character design. It's downstream from when uh, executives have signed off on character design. You've oh, actually, really? okay. you've actually spent a, a pretty good chunk of money, like designing characters. You have written scripts. You have gone. You've really gone places. Scripts are written. You're in animatic. You've done. You've done boards. You now have characters built. Uh, a lot of times, you have characters rigged and skinned. I mean, you have. Functionally, digitally, in terms of animation, 3D animation, you have built puppets. Okay. You've built digital puppets. Those uh, digital I didn't puppets. It was that far. Those digital puppets are moving around. You know, it's like this. They're they're physically moving on screen. And, you know, then now you're you're like, okay, now let's voice them. And you would have voice auditions. And people would voice audition, meaning you would get voice tracks. And so people would then read the script and they'd be reading and you'd watch like you'd act, you could actually like see how they do. Like here's the character, hear the voice with the character, play the voice track, you know, watch what they're doing, put them in the booth and, you know, have them try to voice the character. And, uh, you, especially the way things work with tax incentives, you know, a lot of these voice tracks are coming in just blind. So you're getting a Dropbox full of voice tracks for a character. Then you're going through and listening to the same lines from all these different actors. And you find the one you, you like. And then you like this one. And then they come back and like, ah, uh, that one is... Um, uh, that's a Latina or that that's Latino. And so, but this is a white character. And it's like, so they were, it's the, a good voice. They're the best voice. And it's like, well, but they, they deserve, uh, they deserve to be represented in the, like they, they deserve to be able to have their character kind of look like them. And, so you end up with character rebuilds. So then instead of doing they rebuild it or they cut the actor. Yeah. The actor. And so then it turns into whites only auditions. That's like Oh yeah, totally. And we're just immediately as like you are one step away from having to send in headshots with your voice track and so all being eliminate. eliminated by race because to reopen the the rig, to reopen the build of the of the animated character is going to cost millions. Like it, it could just really, especially if depending on where it is, a lot of times it'll cost hundreds of thousands or 50,000 or something like that. But depending on where you are in production and when you're trying to actually do this and whether you're in a feature or in a series, it could cost a ton of money. And so what? how does this happen? Well, 
it's going to turn into like, well, we can only audition people who match the race of the character. And so what they were trying to avoid is they're trying to avoid casting white people to voice uh, any diverse characters. And the downstream consequences of that got to a place where they were, they were then casting a you know diverse talent to voice a white character. And they're like, oh, but that's insensitive. That's insensitive. Mm. That's insensitive. We should, you know, we should let them voice somebody who looks like them. <laughs> so and, stupid. <laughs> and it's like, and they just tied their own shoelaces in knots. And and ultimately, I don't care. I mean, I, I, this didn't really affect us. Uh, but I got to see it coming. And so I remember telling a Netflix executive, um, like seeing the early, like these early warnings of like, you realize if you guys, if you guys keep taking steps that direction, you either have to entirely and completely change the timeline of your production, how animation production is done, or you have to have racially specific auditions, which is not what you want to do. That is not a good world. No, it's not. It's just not a good look. Now, incidentally, they do do that in live action. You know, you do have an audition like, hey, we're looking for, you know, a Latina. We're looking for an African-American guy. But you know, like, it's very different for voice. And, hmm. you know, it's like we are looking for the voice of a Caucasian male. It just fe it feels very odd because it's divorced completely from it should be it should be more divorced from your race right. and historically has for a voice that fits yeah and that's that's really odd so i think they're there now i've not been we've not been in production for a while but i have heard from people being like man since you left it got crazy like since <laughs> since we wrapped our last season so we'll see if we do many more seasons we might be in crazy town but but uh i don't know anyway all that's a really long way to say uh, I tried to save my gunpowder for when it mattered um, and including like diversity issues, things like that. It just didn't matter to me. So right. I fought over um, how I wanted the family to function. I fought over how I wanted the narrative uh, structure to function. I fought over whether or not my lead character was going to pray to his ancestors. Um, and that cost us money. You know, that, that, that fight cost us a significant amount of money. Um, meaning you had to redo stuff or meaning that you weren't able to market it to no meaning we had to re we had to redo stuff because i caught it too late oh gotcha. um, and i was like i know i caught this too late and i don't care you know we're which i mean if going back to what we've talked about before those things you just mentioned are characters bones of a world yeah and then morality yep. which is the truth goodness beauty thing like so you're saving it for things that matter yeah <laughs> and so and then there but there were so many things where i was just noting it like hey here's a thought here's there's a thought you know if i think it's fun you know i'm not going to war you know it's like i'm noting it i'm pushing it i'm trying to make it better but if i end up in a place of friction and the writer wants to do something and i think something else might be a little funnier oh yeah I'm not going to war over that. I'm just not going to because there's going to be another time almost for sure when I care deeply. And so trying to have a joke land a little more, um, you know, I'll, I'll push it. I'll push it. But if they really disagree and they think their joke lands better, then I'm, I'm very inclined to like, okay. Yeah. So that's where you have, have, uh, I've also heard you talk about, uh, where writers get together and are trying to give advice to people who aren't published, yeah. there being almost an opposite problem. 
yeah. where they're getting advice from too many people and they're saying, hey, just do whatever they say. Yep. I've, I've seen it done both ways. I've seen writers get advice of do whatever, sell out completely just to get in the door. Once you're in the door, start drawing your lines. And I've seen other people say, stick to your guns, mm. be a no tour, like be the diva, always be the diva. Um, and I think that it's, it's in between, like you have to have a clear vision, stick to your North star, you know, like really, you know, be crystal clear on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but also really what the beating heart of that thing is not the different iterations. I mean, I talked to penguin about before they were eaten by random house. I talked to penguin about doing 100 cupboards in two books. You know, I talked to, I don't remember what another publisher about doing it in one volume. I talked to random house about doing this three. It's like they, like I, I built plans for how I would have to execute that if I, if they really wanted it. And through each of them, each of those iterations, the beating heart, the story I wanted to tell was there in, in all of those. I liked three, three was my favorite. Then so that was my, that was my preference. But, um, I was, I was willing to do the others. Yeah. Um, because I was trying to, you know, trying to get in, but it wasn't a, Hey, can we go against your worldview? Can we go against your concept of beauty? Can we go against, you know, anything like that? So I have fought over things that people thought were ridiculous. <laughs> um, I have fought over women will put picnic, uh, put tablecloths on picnic tables. They will do this in uh, a Kansas barbecue. This will happen. This is, I'm fighting to, I'm going to fight. <laughs> Wait, why do they want that gone? Gender roles. Oh, um, okay. And it's like, I uh, ultimately, see, look at me being... <laughs> but also I don't care. I don't care. This doesn't matter. I do, it so doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Um, I have fought over whether or not, um, whether or not to be judgmental of the behavior of Aztecs mm. in, in Allies of Time. Okay, I do remember that. Yeah. So you chose to stick with the history there. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> they there was there's no dispute of the history, incidentally. It was it was the judginess, the negativity with which I described the human sacrifice. <laughs> Instead of and, as a neutral observer in National Geographic. Yeah. There was an assistant. Um there was an assistant bothered by that. He was saying, You have to realize this was their culture and you should not be critical. This is like <laughs> Like you're they, you're projecting your whiteness and et cetera. And don't like base basically I said something positive about Cortez or something that was not positive. It was something that was um not sufficiently negative <laughs> about Cortez. And I had said things that were clearly negative about the human sacrifice going on uh amongst the Aztecs. Sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember writing a note back and saying that Cortez and the Aztecs deserved each other. Mm. And, and that's the balance take that we're, stri <laughs> that we're striving yes. for. <laughs> and this will stand like this is, I'm writing this this way. I'm not, this is not rah, rah Cortez. This is not rah, rah Aztecs. This is not good guys, bad guys. This is two kids uh, bombing into a moment in time that was really significant in the new world. They're crashing into this uh, tipping of the scales 
of, of the power dynamics of Central America. And that moment was probably the most significant moment of, of, of centuries surrounding it. Uh, the moment in when, Central America. Yeah, yeah. When Cortez, when Montezuma was killed and Cortez fled and Cortez eventually overthrew the Aztec empire, that power struggle and them arriving at the exact moment when that outburst happened, um, you know, I, I was trying to insert these kids into these really violent moments that tipped history. That was one of them. That's what time travel books always do. <laughs> yeah, about. right? Come on. Yeah. Respect the genre. <laughs> you don't visit a boring time. <laughs> yeah. And so saying because we're going here doesn't mean that Cortez is a great guy. And it doesn't mean that uh, the Aztecs were. I'm um, sure there were some very good people among the Aztecs. Well, actually, I was about to say it doesn't mean the Aztecs were worse than Cortez. I think, I I think they say, were. I think <laughs> they were. They were worse than Cortez. I'll, I'll go on record. Cortez was a bad dude. Um, he, was, he was a straight up pirate. But he was. Um, but man, you can have a lot of respect for him. But he was he was a gnarly guy. But the Aztecs were sacrificing many, many slaves, and, and Cortez was not conducting human sacrifices. Yeah. So he was he was bad. Um good we, thing we don't have to actually We could judge. say that, you know, John Newton was not better than the Aztecs. That'd be I'd be comfortable with that. Oh yeah? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Must know something about John Newton. I oh don't. come on. The the our beloved writer of amazing grace oh i see yeah. i'm sorry i was thinking isaac <laughs> yes <laughs> the other newton yeah i get those i get those modeled as well right the, the newtons fig newtons john newtons, all the isaacs, isaacs all the newtons <laughs> embarrassing to have it's more embarrassing to have that happen on camera i think than it is just <laughs> an audio no, I think I've I've messed that up before. I'm like, I, there's Isaac Watts, John Newton, Isaac Newton, those three guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. They should be clearer about their identities. Right. But John Newton, yeah, I think he was. I think he was Aztec levels bad. Right. So, and he he knew it, but um, yeah, it's uh, anyway. So that's that's all kind of a long winded discourse on where I fight and when, and when people tell me to put stuff in and whether or not I do. But when an editor says, Hey, I think your pace is off here. I think you need, you know, I think you need some tempo or you, you need some spacing. You need to breathe. You need to accelerate. I always tend to defer. Mm. Um, there are times and uh, plenty of times when uh, an editor especially the guy I was working with a lot. And we were very familiar with each other. He would, he would circle a paragraph and, and just like delete and just tell me to delete it. And I would tell me that the paragraph was not working. And so the next draft you'd get back, the paragraph had not been deleted. It had turned into a page and a half. You know, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. it had gone the opposite direction. Uh, it was now fully enfleshed and expanded and was doing you know, it mattered to me. It was not, it was not a piece of fat that needed to be trimmed from the beef. It was essential to what I was trying to accomplish. Part of the bones, yeah. But it actually, uh, obviously, didn't land. It obviously didn't register. So instead of yelling at him and trying to explain to him, I had to realize very, very quickly. Oh, it didn't. It didn't land. It's on me. It's not, that's on me. Yeah. If it didn't register, and so that mattered to me. He said, "Delete it," and. 
clearly it's not doing its work. It's not pulling its weight. So I either need to delete it and find a different solution or I'm going to expand this and, and make it actually do its job. Yeah. As an editor, it seems like you often have like, hey, there's a problem here. My solution may be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong about the problem. Right. Although, although occasionally. Yeah. This is an issue. And then the question is the solve. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, that's 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 what our topic was for today. That was it. Is There's nothing else. We talked about Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. How much how much ground did we cover? I mean, we're I, almost I think we're almost sufficiently at podcast line. I mean, I think we haven't we, are. we haven't gypped people, I don't think. No, we are haven't. we allowed to say jip? No, not if you ask. But if you just say it, everyone assumes it's spelled with a J. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the word gypped. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell I'll tell a quick story and we'll end on this. Okay. I, I know I've I'm I'm aging, and so I can tell the same story again and again now. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yes, we were. Uh, my son was young. His his best friends, like his, I was just reminiscing with my son. His childhood friends were his cousins. Like that was it. Like so, I mean, he had classmates who were nice kids, but his friends were his cousins. And it was, and there's many hilarious stories that I could tell about that phase of their life. Uh, one of which, the funniest was the creation of a sovereign nation called the Land of Apollo, which he founded with his cousin. Wow. Um, and that consisted of my parents' yard. And they were like, he, he made it very clear to me. And I remember this conversation. He, he has an amazing memory. So he has some very vivid early memories. But how old, how old is he about? He was, man, too young. Uh, for this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, five ish, six ish. This, yeah, five yeah. or six. Yeah. And then he, I remember him very clearly communicating to me in the car, like, just to be clear, this is not a game. This is, <laughs> this is for real. We're not playing. It's actually an, its own country. We have laws. We found the document where they drafted 48 laws, this whole system of governance. And he was getting to work on the creation of the language. Um, Wow, that's that speaks showing an early yeah (laughs) yeah showing an early inclination. Uh, It wasn't very much later that he was popping fluency very easily in other languages, but he was working on this. And every Saturday, we'd get together with the family and have these you know these family dinners and these Sabbath dinners. And that's when he saw his pals, and he saw them at recess at school too. But they would that's when he would work immediately work on the land of Apollo with his his cousin, and then his little cousin. Lena Jankovic uh, was feeling left out of, of apparently this activity and his aunt Lizzie, who's, you know, bless her and hilarious and not understanding threw down and just said, you may no longer leave out Lena. She has to be included. And that was the end of the land of Apollo. (laughs) It was never done again because all illusions of sovereignty evaporated. Oh, wow. Like they realized like, well, if our aunt can just (laughs) boss us into putting her into a governmental position, then it's not much of a sovereign nation, is it? So they, they adjusted and they played a different game completely, but the the whole construction of a country just was, was no more. There are no countries without borders. Yeah. That border. The border had been, there had been an incursion and it was overthrown. It had just been. And so they created a game and included younger female cousins. 
then the game had a uh, Apollo had a pharaoh uh, and a prime minister, and uh, every Saturday Sabbath dinner began with a funeral for the previous pharaoh, and then the you know mov- moving on, and it was very funny. But anyway, these were his pals; these were his cousins. This was they were all as tight as you could possibly be. And then the Merkels moved to England, and. When they moved to England, it was like, okay, this is like Knox, Jemima, Belphoebe, and then Hero right underneath him. Like that, that was his pack. That was his little pack of people. And he still had his little sisters, you know, but it was, everything was gone. His little cohort and country construction was gone and so on. So we were looking at a, a spring break vacation. And this is the, the big notorious trip I wrote about in Death by Living, where I called my sister in Oxford and said, uh, Okay, so we're going to do a vacation. My wife and I have been talking. Uh, I think I just sold a five-book deal, and we'd set aside some cash. I think I just sold Ashdown to, for this vacation. And I asked my son, because he was a March baby. It was his birthday. I was like, do you want us to, like, we're thinking about going to Costa Rica, doing a jungle trip, seeing animals, which he loved, or do you want to go see your cousins in England? And he was like, 100% cousins, no question. So I call my sister and say, hey, if, if we fly over, could you pick us up in London in a you know giant van? Um, and where would you want to see before you guys are done? Because it was their last year in England. And they said Rome. I was like, okay, let's road trip to Rome. So we do that. Now, my grandfather heard that we were going to Rome. And he, he told me three things. One is, uh, well, he told me exactly how they're going to try to rob us. Uh, but he's like, you will, they will try to rob you. It's not personal. It's just Rome was founded by thieves <laughs> and they're all thieves. Um, they, they are all thieves. They will try to take their pound of flesh and that's it. Not personal. They're just going to do it. If you go into a restaurant at different parts of Rome, they will jack the check up and then they'll grab the youngest kid at the table and start harassing your baby uh, or grabbing your child as they hand the bill to you so that you won't look at it and you'll just pay them as quickly as possible. Like check. And we were robbed within an hour of arriving in Rome. Uh, I write the story, the the thorough story about being robbed. We, we lost nine of 11 bags were stolen by hotel staff upon our arrival in Rome. Boom. Exactly. As he said, uh, yes, the waiters did this hundred percent. They grabbed Judah Merkel a lot. He had big fat cheeks. So they just grab his face, grab his head, harass him as they handed me the bill. And it was just, it was this weird, like miniature kidnapping would go on of like hostage ransom as you're paying for dinner. But there's also a lot of gypsies. Hence, this is why we started off yeah. on this odyssey. Yeah. Yes. That's how we got here. Uh, and the warning here was that they will actually like they'll be mimes and they'll do things, but they'll they'll try to get a, a little junk toy into your kid's hand and then charge you for it. But they also will actually just grab your kid by the wrist and not let go until you pay them. They will literally do many, <laughs> many uh, hostage ransom scenarios. So so we like braced our children for this and like you don't touch the mimes. The, the ones who are like dressed up like sphinxes or posing or doing things in the parks, like you don't receive anything. They try to hand you stuff. You don't take it. Uh, you don't get near them. You don't put your hands out. Um, 
And so it's like, okay, I feel a little bit comfortable um, using that word. It's not because I think there's anything wrong with those people. They're they're no worse or better than the Celts. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> from whom I mostly derive. Uh, but I think that that phrase, that particular word, I think is they've got famous. You know, the gypsies got famous in certain ways. So to say that somebody got gypped, uh, like this is a statement of fact. Or it's not. a statement of fact, and I, I mean, it doesn't work to say I got roamed. I got Romaned. <laughs> but if I, if there was a good word for that, I would use it because I straight up got roamed. We got roamed yeah. real hard. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, and it's and it will forever be an extremely fond memory. And as they say, the sense of smell is the most closely tied sense to memory. And I will always remember the smell of that van as we were as we were exiting Italy, as we're heading back north. And these kids, you know, at the time, these nine children don't have changes of clothing, and they don't have clean socks, and they don't have like we're just we're just on our way back and we had to buy hand-me-down clothing from other poor tourists who were robbed in Rome also at flea markets. You know, we're just like, we're just uh, we per- we're perpetuating the economy. Yep. But um, anyway, all this to say, I feel like that's a justified, a justified. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Romulus. And, yeah. Uh, this one goes out to Romulus and yeah. Remus that's uh, and the Sabine women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking Alrighty. of thieves. <laughs> yeah. On that note, uh, peace out. We'll try to have better lighting next time because this is annoying. We apologize for the quality of this conversation and it's entirely due to the mortuary lighting. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to Sasfa. We're very happy to have you all along on this ride with us. Appreciate all the feedback, all the questions, and all the good words from all the listeners around the country, and even some internationally. Anyways, what I got for you right now is (laughs) the announcement that Fantastical Wordcraft, N.D. Wilson's School Of, is actually on Canon Plus and available to listen to. Um, I think the last time I mentioned it, it was at some point in the future, but it's there now. So for the low, low price of 99 cents with code SASFA99, S-A-S-F-99, Uh, You can pay 99 cents for your first month, watch the course, and then if you can't find anything else to listen to, you can unsubscribe. Or you can stay subscribed to continue to support us and show us the love. Anyways, you might be asking, what is the School of Fantastical Wordcraft? It's basically Nate's 10 to 15 minute talks, nine of them, plus an intro on how to tell stories. So if you've ever wanted to tell stories, nonfiction or otherwise, um, and you thought, man, I should, I should become a writer. I want to finish that novel. This is the course for you. Nate always says it's for kids as young as anyone who's ever said, hey, I want to be a writer when I grow up, and for adults as old as the same thing. So there you go. Some of my favorite lectures. I think the plot and outlining and story architecture chapters especially useful. And then, of course, uh, Nate's descriptions of how to write the basics are also key. Anyways, there's the pitch for N.D. Wilson's School of Fantastical Wordcraft, available on Canon Plus now. You can subscribe using that code SASF99 if you're a first-time subscriber and you go to mycanonplus.com.